Hello and welcome to another episode of Crossing the Threshold. This is the podcast where myself and Nikki sit down with a wide range of educators, sometimes together, sometimes separately, to explore how we can better support young people to create the kind of world that we want to live in, uh, to create a brighter future. This week I invited two doctors onto the show. Our first guest is Dr David Blumenkrantz, who I made connection with at the start of lockdown uh, after reading his book, uh, Coming of Age the Right Way. Uh, I reached out to him and since we've developed a good friendship and he's been mentoring myself and the visionaries and the work that we do. Uh, David's got 50 years or more experience developing community-oriented rites of passage in the States. David is a trained psychotherapist and has spent nearly 20 years living with and learning from indigenous peoples throughout North America and around the world. He's experienced firsthand their ancient ceremonies and rituals and how these strengthen and heal the individual and community. David now brings his wisdom to modern Western communities through his pioneering community building approach through Rites of Passage. Our other guest is Dr. Niels Kohlschuter, who is the CEO of the Schweizerwerth Foundation in Germany, uh, which is a foundation pioneering approaches to sustainable food and agriculture. I brought these two incredible gentlemen onto the show this week to talk about how Uh, how they're engaging with young people and how the work that they're doing is re-centering youth's role in creating the future. David's work through Rites of Passage has inspired the work that we do at The Visionaries and uh, I know he's been mentoring uh, Niels as well in the work that he's been doing at the Foundation. And both have really interesting stories to share around youth engagement, putting youth at the heart of decision-making, the importance of rites of passage, uh, the wisdom inherent in youth, the importance of mentorship, not just for young people, but for, for anyone at any life stage. We explored why our relationship to food is so important and how regenerative agriculture is supporting communities to develop a healthier relationship to food. So David and Niels between them have such a breadth of life and work experience that it really made for a a wide-reaching conversation. I really enjoyed this conversation and I know you will too. So let's get stuck in. Hi David, Niels, welcome to Crossing the Threshold. Hi Max. Good to be with you both. Yeah, good to see you both again. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for joining us today. I wonder if we could start off just by uh, giving our listeners a bit of a, uh, a bit of a sense of who you are and the work that you do in the world. Uh, I've been really inspired by uh, what you both do, so it'd be great to start off start off there if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm working in the foundation since three four years. It's the Schweizfurt Foundation in Munich that has been founded 35 years ago. And it's all about sustainable food and agriculture. And uh, before I came here, I was working in an organic uh, tea and herbs company and was responsible for the purchasing of teas and herbs all over the world. And before that, 
I was uh, doing science about agriculture and biodiversity. And uh, that's what I, what I did to earn my money. And at the same time, I was always interested in uh, working with groups and youth. And uh, since I am 10 years old, I'm in different groups. And I was starting to support a youth group when I was 14 years old. And it continued and never left me. And uh, this is something that is in my heart and continues to grow and go. Mm. Um, I studied agriculture. And after that, I went into science and also did my PhD. Uh, that was about agrobiodiversity. It was about food and old um, breeds that we are losing. And with this, we are losing a lot of information and capacity to adapt to whatever comes in the future. If you only have the hybrid yields, uh, hybrid um, uh, high yield breed, re <laughs> Now I get confused. High yield uh, races and uh, uh, and then is it races or is it breed? How, breed is the right word, yeah. isn't it? I, breed works. Breed, yeah. Uh, the high yield breeds um, that are used all over the world, and something comes like Corona as a knockout, and they are all gone. And if you have the diversity of different breeds that are connected and adapted to the regional um, circumstances, you get much more stable. But at the same time, you need to sell them uh, to, to keep them alive. So I try to find if they have special qualities in food and how it works so that we can have a more diverse agriculture. Great, thank you. But it's so important. I just think about the way we engage with food in our societies, mostly Western societies, is so unhealthy and so disconnected. It feels like one of the most obvious ways we can rekindle that connection. But uh, so often we let that go. To, we let that opportunity be missed. David, could you could you say a bit about yourself? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, I think it all started back in 1966 when I was a woodlore counselor at a summer camp. And uh, I used to take young people out to learn the lore, L-O-R-E, of the woods, how to be in nature, how to live in nature. Uh, I remember vividly that uh, it was always very cherished by the young people to go out on an overnight camping trip or go for hikes in the woods. And Uh, we wouldn't do that unless they learned and we quizzed them on the names of all the plants and the trees and the fauna uh, so that uh, they knew them intimately and it wasn't just a, uh, a thing. It, 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 was, it was a thou. It was something that was living and important. Uh, and then from then on, I, I went on to college and graduate school and um, I got a master's degree and doctorate, and I only insert that as Niels did because I think who we are is also uh, a part of what we've studied, what uh, interested us, uh, what we were curious about and investigated uh, so we could find a foundation to put words uh, and meaning and context to what we do. Um, after college, I went to work with uh, a serious juvenile delinquent population where I helped install Uh, in the mid-70s, the first uh, 
uh, rites of passage outdoor wilderness program in a juvenile reformatory and went on to work with uh, serious juvenile offenders in the community and pretrial diversion programs. And then for 15 years, I headed up a, a, a town's uh, youth and human services. Uh, and now uh, I am uh, with an organization called the Center for Youth and Community, which we started in 1990 to help disseminate the kinds of work we're doing with uh, community organizing, positive youth development, asset-based approaches to youth development, and what we have called youth and community development through rites of passage. And um, now I uh, am delighted to be working um, with groups of people uh, in Europe uh, and here on how to organize communities, how to strengthen cultures, and help young people grow up uh, through this concept of community-oriented and culturally sensitive rites of passage. Mm, thank you. It's great. I mean, I like, you know, like you say, you've, um, I like how you, you know, the three of us are here and in a way, uh, David, you're, well, you are mentoring both of us and uh, through our organisations. And uh, I've certainly been really inspired by uh, all of your books and writing and it's hugely influenced the work we're doing at The Visionaries. Um, so this common denominator of rites of passage and supporting youth well uh, comes into things. But rites of passage can can mean a lot in uh, a lot of different things. In terms of the work you've done, what does the what does that mean? Well, you're absolutely right. Um, back when I first began thinking about rites of passage, and I think that's because in my coming of age, I went and became a bar mitzvah. Uh, my father met my mother, who's Irish, during the war, and it was the hero's journey. He, he, he was the hero's journey. He met the maiden, married her, sent her back on a troop ship. Uh, <laughs> but what rites of passage means to me uh, is, I think, something um, that has been meaningful in our uh, humanity for 40,000 years. It was a reciprocity between the individual, the community, culture, uh, their family, nature, spirit, uh, and all within the story of the universe. <clears throat> it was not something really directed at the individual, uh, but it was uh, there uh, to help individuals uh, bring meaning to culture and their community and help the community and their culture remember and adapt their essential values uh, to the context of their current time. And here uh, we help them adapt to important ethics and values for modernity. Uh, Niels, did you have any experiences uh, growing up that felt like rites of passage to you? I remember two things. And... Uh... On the one hand, I think it was very, very important for me being at the Scouts. And when I was 13, 14 years old, um, we had a ceremony where you, was, you were transformed into the group of the Elder Scouts, a little bit Elder Scouts. And you did a promise at night, at a fire. It was a little bit secret. You had to prepare. You were wandering out there before. And I think... This includes a lot of elements that uh, contribute to a rite of passage. 
And one of the elements I didn't realize that time was community because it was not later on. I did workshops on rite of passage for boys. And then I realized something is missing. They're coming from all over the places. They get there, they do their workshop. They say checked. Now I did the rite of passage going back home. And, uh, it was different because I was in the group and the group was there before and the group was there afterwards and they could see me, they could see me growing. They could have the possibility to remember me. I have the chance to give back to serve and all those things. So I think uh, later on, I realized how important it was that it happened in a community context. And another situation is where I remember walking with my uncle in the forest and I had that feeling already the days before, wow, now something changed in my life. I feel more grown up. I'm not a child anymore. I can do things by myself. I know more what I want to do. And I want to follow that feeling of what I want to do. And I remember that I shared that feeling and that story with him while walking in the forest. So that's the other part where I see that, um, uh, or that I remember that was not in a community context, that was more in the family context where I shared with my uncle my inner feeling something changed. Mm. Um, um, it's, I guess it sounds like it was important for you that that was witnessed by your uncle, by someone in the family to, to acknowledge that, that shift that was happening in you. Maybe that's the reason why I remember it. If I would have just the thought by myself, maybe I would remember. But after I had that walk and I remember the walk, I remember the forest. I know where we started. I remember that we lost track and came back on track. So it seemed to be like an important walk for me with him in the forest. I think it brings up uh, another component about the importance of mentoring and Again, really having one person, you know, I'm reflecting back on all the just fortunate encounters I've had with people who were older than me and uh, I looked up to and were, you know, I felt they were real mentors that if I did something, they could witness it. I could feel affirmed by it. In some way, it would help me feel I was building competency and mastery. Um, and in my later life, having been blessed to I've had Seymour Saracen as a dear friend and mentor. He was one of the founders of the field of community psychology in the early 80s. Uh, I studied with and became friends with uh, Dr. Bill Glasser, who uh, founded Reality Therapy and Schools Without Failure. Uh, I work with Ed Ziegler, the founder of Head Start, uh, and many, many other people who, uh, as I look back over the span of over 50 years, I've just been incredibly blessed. And, you know, also to come upon uh, people like the two of you who really inspire me uh, through the work you're doing and uh, keep my brain moving. Uh, you ask questions that are really stimulating and I think we're just learning together. And I think that's what I think happened with all the people who I have been in relationships with. Uh, we were learning together and that's really something that uh, really kindles your curiosity and your capacity to expand consciousness and uh, put lessons learned into new, different and meaningful ways. 
Neil, the work you're doing with sustainable agriculture, you're bringing youth into that work and uh, taking a very holistic approach uh, to the way that you uh, are working as a foundation. I was curious to ask why you felt, uh, why you're engaging youth in in the way that you are and and actually in what ways are you engaging youth in, in the work that you're doing? I think it's important to engage youth so that they can be part of creating the future we are all going to. And um, the thing is, we don't know what's going to come. So the the only thing we can support them with is uh, creating a compass to navigate to a future that includes health, happiness and growth. And since we are working in an agricultural and food context as a foundation, we see that there are very different possibilities for the future. I just read an article about the possibility to print a steak. So they created a 3D printer that includes protein and all it needs, and they can print a steak. So this is one kind of high-tech food. And on the other hand, uh, we see that people really know where their food comes from. They say... Uh, you become what you eat and um, I want to be connected with the things I eat and it's all connected to each other and um, they want to create their surroundings the environment by the way how they are eating because they know it affects everything the drinking water the air everything and um, of course you can say if you print a steak, the environment is uh, affected less. And on the other hand, it says, is this the only thing or is there more? And we don't want to give the an- answers to it. We want to help the people or the children, the youth, to create a compass so that they can navigate in the way it's helpful for them in the future mm-hmm. to live in health, happiness and growth. And... Um, so what we do is that they, we, uh, we create a context, a surrounding where they can connect to themselves, but also to the nature and, uh, to, and we start with simple things they connect with, like the question, where is your drinking water coming from? And then we go further and say, how is your drinking water affected by the way how you eat? And then you see if you eat and you use a lot of artificial fertilizer or uh, synthetic pesticides, it affects your drinking water. So if you want to have clean drinking water, how would you like to eat? But this is like a very straight teaching that you can't put it... Yeah, you you don't get very long if you just put out those questions and ask them. They have to experience it. They have to experience their surroundings. So um, we take the question of the water and then they are invited for meetings where people talk about it. So they see, wow, that's an issue many people are talking about. And then, for example, they go back to school and research what do we have in school, what do we eat, ask Mm -hmm. classmates what would you like to eat. Or the thing we are working on right now is that the students are creating a tour through their 
area where the drinking water coming from into town and find interesting stations where they say, oh, see, here happens this, here happens that. And um, here's the water taken out of the ground, then it's transported. And with this, they connect with the issues, they connect with the questions, they connect with the um, with nature. Um, it's all connected. And uh, we try to involve them uh, to yeah, do research out there in the field, in, in nature, to connect uh, and also be connected in society so that they see it's not only a game for students, but it's a real thing we all work on and they can contribute with maybe a solution. We don't know. Maybe they have a contribution we don't see because they see it with totally different eyes and try to bring in this as a win-win situation for all of us. Shows the importance of seeing it as an interconnected series of uh, inquiries and concerns and issues and things to study in a way that doesn't separate the theory of learning about it with the experience of what we experience in the world. Um, is that that holistic approach to me really links to how that shared responsibility of raising young people and the community-oriented approach that you take, David, in terms of really thinking about how what we're doing in our schools and w with young people is influencing and shaping the, the world we live in. Yeah, quite right. And um, I think Niels points out something that I want to amplify and I think is so important when he said, when you bring young people to the table, they hear what is being said and they can see it through new eyes and help adapt. And I think that is the essence of what Rites of Passage was always about. Uh, I, I'm reminded of a story I heard uh, that's a true story. Louise Motti, who wrote those two uh, edited volumes about Rites of Passage, about the Omaha uh, Native people who were faced with a great problem in 1890, and they sent the children out on a vision quest and when the children came back, they reported their visions from which the elders extracted meaning that helped them solve the problem they were confronted with. Um, the central uh, challenge is how to engage young people in a meaningful way where they can have influence in helping us see things that adults are stuck in seeing and help us adapt uh, to a future that will benefit everyone. I'm reminded of what happened when here in America they started to have uh, tobacco education in high schools and the teenagers went home to harass their parents for smoking. That really <laughs> altered parent smoking because if you've ever had a teenager living with you who harassed you for things, you know that had an impact uh, on the adults. Um, but I want to I'm, I'm reminded of what Seymour Saracen said uh, in The Predictable Failure of Educational Reform that he wrote in 1990. He said, when one has no stake in the way things are, when one's needs or opinions are provided no forum, when one sees oneself as the object of unilateral actions, it takes no particular wisdom to suggest that one would rather be elsewhere. And I think that's so important and why we always engage older students in the process of adapting what we've called the rite of passage experience or rote, 
which is an exemplar of youth and community development through rites of passage, older students were always brought into the initial orientation and training to help adapt the design and what people call the program and help deliver it to younger students. Yeah, I, mean, I think that, that yearning as a teenager, as a youth, for a real sense of responsibility is what fuels a lot of... Uh, that yeah that yeah that yearning for responsibility and um, independence I think is is really met through rites of passage uh, where they are you know where students or young people are given a real responsibility and you know Neil's sounds like in what in your work you're really asking for the wisdom of youth to be to be shared and for them to be part of that exploration in a way that they have real say over what food is presented to them and what where their water comes from and feeling like they can shape that where they live. Yeah, that's what we try to do. And of course, uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it's, it's slow because uh, like it's... Now it's a little bit easier because with Fridays of Future, we have, like all organizations, we can contact, we can ask. But otherwise, when you're asking the school, it's difficult because then you get into the school system. Um, if you go to other organizations, you're in their system. So it's also the question, where is where do you have a good context, context so it can free flow and... It's not always that um, all the students are interested. It's always a small group, but they really can make it different. And uh, what we also observe is in the beginning, just a few are coming and they're listening, they check it out. And then the next time there are a few more because they shared and they brought some friends and then they realized, wow, there was a meeting, it was during school time, but they got free from school to participate. And um, maybe they are even in a little newspaper article, um, they got uh, named or something. And then more and more people are coming, getting interested. So it's something that really also develops over the time. And over the time means in this case with the drinking water, like two, three years, it really takes time until it grows and uh, situations come where you can um, shape that community, those discussions, those meetings mm -hmm. and experiences out there in the field, of course. Mm. And David, what have you seen work in terms of yeah. giving youth a real responsibility and uh, giving them a an experience whether it's in a rites of passage context or otherwise of that really helps them um, step into their authentic uh, selves you know in a general sense when uh, organizations uh, make a place for young people to have authentic participation uh, where as a matter of what their institutional structure is they always include young people um, when the uh, spirit of the place uh, is really about engaging young people and including them, uh, that really provides the environment. It's not artificial. It's not sort of, as Niels alluded to, 
you know, you go into a different context and it's an institutional structure and they, they think it's a good idea to have a young person at the table. So they bring in <laughs> one young person. Uh, there's nobody there that's a mentor to and supportive of. And, the, you know, it's very hard for anybody who is, uh, you know, new in any environment to come in and play a meaningful role. Uh, what we do uh, when we help environments prepare themselves to uh, invite and have young people to sit at the table and participate, uh, we have a group of young people meeting with a group of adults from that environment. Say it's the city council or the board of education. Uh, they always say, oh, we should have a young person participate, but you know, <laughs> then they pick one person and as I said, they show up and it's intimidating and it's awesome, but uh, we actually have mentors assigned to the young people and prepare them for active participation. They sit with them at the meeting and they'll encourage them to speak and they'll affirm them, they'll pat them on the shoulder. The young person will whisper, you know, I think this, and they'll say, go ahead, say it. Mm -hmm. um, also, when we do uh, the community-oriented rites of passage and why I think rites of passage in community is so important, that the young people who go through the first of a process of initiatory events over six years, it's not a one-time thing. And by the way, historically, it was never a one-time thing. We mm -hmm. dramatize it in movies and television and books because it fits in the context of that medium. Uh, but when a young person, 11 and 12, goes through one of the initiatory processes with their entire school community, say fifth or sixth grade, and the teenage facilitators are there, they see a mentor, a role model, who's only a few years older than them, and they actually could see themselves in that role and are actually yearning to be in that role. And so when they get to be in middle school, they can mentor younger students. And when they're high school students, we know many of them want to be facilitators of rope for younger students, which actually helps prepare them for and sets a pathway to further learning to be teachers, youth workers, psychologists, social workers, which I think are really callings more than a profession. And so we're actually setting the stage for young people to be empowered to uh, find what their calling may be. Um, and as far as setting the context for them to uh, participate in the adult world, uh, we're actually setting that in motion for younger students to see older students engaged in those roles. So it's more of an authentic, natural thing. It's not something that comes out of midair. And as I said, you know, a organization wants to have a youth participate, so they select one youth and all of a sudden they show up and, you know, they're not really prepared to participate. Yeah, it tackles that thing that we do in Western society of siloing youth into their age brackets and then putting them through uh, the different years and expecting them to learn how to advance into the next stage of life when, you know, their peers are all doing the same as them and it goes against that thousands of years of natural eldership and mentorship that we've experienced in community. Yeah, that one-room schoolhouse really uh, provided some interesting opportunities uh, for those mentoring relationships to happen naturally. 
David, you said you know the rite of passage in communities isn't just a one-time thing, and in the way that uh, you've been supporting Niels and myself, you know it's not a one-off event that is supportive. It's the ongoing uh, support and conversations and role modeling and uh, insights. The laws of physics about inertia don't uh, also apply to the human enterprise, and I think we've gone so far and have so much energy focusing on academics and uh, pouring in things that students are supposed to regurgitate for some test, uh, but immediately forget, it really sends a message to young people that confuses them about what real learning is. And um, I think the real lessons are about forming meaningful, authentic relationships. And in fact, uh, students universally say the most important thing uh, about the school environment is to have a caring teacher. Uh, and the other thing they say is that having a sense of belonging, of continuity, of being to connected to others, uh, also to be introduced to ideas and values that make ourselves meaningful and significant. Uh, these are the needs that are shared by all. And I think we forget uh, that it's been said that young people are seeking a few very important things, a sense of meaning, identity, and purpose in the world. And they're seeking to be in balance uh, with all of the different competing forces and connected, connected to other people. And I think most important, connected to nature. And as Niels pointed out, and I, I wanna amplify this, uh, when you give people an opportunity to connect with the essential things like water, you know, mm -hmm. and have a relationship with water, to have a relationship with air. Uh, as I pointed out as a woodlore counselor in 1966, you don't go off walking in the woods until you know the names of everything around. So you know they are not just a thing, uh, but it's an I and thou relationship where everything is important and everything has meaning as it affects your life. Education today in some ways produces meaninglessness and alienation and, you know, you pour things in so they can regurgitate it on a test. And when you go through 12 years of that, what do you have? <laughs> the world we live in today. Thanks both for taking the time out of your busy schedules to, to join. That's been really informative and, uh, and lots to go away and think about. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Good to be with you both. Always uh, fun to hang out with you guys. And that's the end of the episode. Thank you very much for tuning in for another episode of Crossing the Threshold. Uh, thank you as always to Nick Sims from Green Barge Audio for editing and producing the podcast. Next week we've got something slightly different for you. Nikki and I sat down with three teachers from a school we took out to the Lake District for five days of camping back in August, just before they headed back into school after six months of remote learning. So we sat down with these teachers and we shared stories of what it's been like going back into school uh, in, in such a crazy period and also how their experience with us supported them to go back into school feeling resourced and better able to support the students. And that's it for today. See you next time, folks.